Well, good morning, church. It's uh, good to be with you in this way this morning. A series of children's storybooks that I've been reading to my daughter lately that I grew up reading myself is Little Critter by Mercer Mayer. And a story we've been reading lately is called Just Big Enough. And in the story Just Big Enough, poor little critter is getting on the bus and a big kid has taken his seat. And so, and then later in the day, the same big kid won't play with him at recess. And then lunch rolls around and the same big kid takes all of the dessert from the cafeteria so little critter and his friends cannot have any. Well, of course, little critter identifies that the problem in this situation is that he's simply not big enough. So he wants to grow up. So he begins to ask the question, well, what are the conditions that I need to find myself in so that I will grow up? His mom tells him that he needs to eat his vegetables. So little critter starts eating vegetables, lots of vegetables. And he asks his mom, am I bigger yet? No, not yet. So he goes and asks his dad, dad, what do I have to do that I would grow up? He says, well, you need to exercise. So he starts exercising. He's doing push-ups and jumping jacks and all of these things. And he goes back to his dad and said, have I grown up yet? Not yet, little critter. Later that night, little critter is reading a comic book and he realizes that the superheroes in this comic book seem to interact with something that, that causes them to gain their powers. So the next morning, little critter builds a growing machine and he spends the day sitting in this growing machine. And then at the end of the day, he goes and asks his dad, am I bigger yet? No, not yet, little critter. Well, poor little critter, he ends up at the end of the story, he doesn't get bigger, but he does make things right with these bigger kids. When I think of our passage this morning, I think that the question little critter is asking is a question that we rightfully ask. The question of what are the conditions that will cause me to grow up? Now, when I say this, I'm asking that question differently than Little Critter because I'm not talking about us growing in size. I'm not talking about us getting taller or bigger muscles or anything like that. I'm thinking about our, our character, who we are as people. This whole idea that we would become more as we get older, not less. How do we grow up? How do we mature in a way that is, is good, that, that keeps us moving towards who God wants us to be, not getting lost along the way? See, I think that Paul's prayer to the Colossians is a prayer that the necessary conditions required for this type of formation and growth would be present in their lives. His prayer is that they would continue moving forward in bearing the fruit of the gospel. His prayer is that their faith in God would never be reduced to something less, but that it would continually become more. His prayer for the Colossians is that the conditions required for their growing up would be present in their lives. Well, I don't know about you, but I want that. <laughs> I want the conditions required for my growth to be present in my life. I want to become more of who God wants me to be, not less. I want to have a maturing faith. I want to look back in 10 years and realize that I'm less anxious than I once was, that I'm less insecure than I once was, that I'm less selfish than I once was. I want to look back and realize that in the last 10 years, I've become more loving, more kind, more patient, more like Jesus. Paul's prayer compels us to understand that our faith in Jesus is to be a maturing faith. After Paul gives thanks for the Colossians and, and for their faith and for their love of the saints, all these things, 
Paul turns his attention to a prayer that they wouldn't grow stagnant, that they wouldn't sit complacent in where they're at, but that they would desire and long for more. His prayer reveals to us that some of the characteristics of a maturing faith is that it seeks to know God more, it regularly experiences God in tangible ways, and it chooses faithfulness. I believe that this text, we find these three themes, these three themes which identify to us the conditions in which we need to find ourselves in, that we would be a people who are growing up, who are becoming more and not less. So I want to jump into each one of these conditions that I see in our text this morning uh, and just pull some things out for us along the way. The first thing that Paul gets to in the first piece that we see, the first characteristic or condition that we need to find to have a maturing faith is that a maturing faith seeks to know God more. A maturing faith seeks to know God more. Paul, after his prayer of thanksgiving, goes on to pray this. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So as Paul begins to talk about a maturing faith, we see that he sees an increase of knowledge of God's will as, an, as essential in our spiritual maturity. He sees a knowledge of God's will as essential to our spiritual maturity. Now we need to be clear there, here that he's not just talking about knowledge in a cognitive sense that uh, we become people who uh, know more information. And he's not talking about knowledge of God's will in the sense that uh, we become overly discerning and understand what God wants us to do in terms of our career or in terms of our parenting or in terms of how we manage our finances. Now, all of that is important. We need to have an understanding of what God desires for us in all of those areas. But what Paul is getting at here and this idea of the knowledge of God's will is a lot more than that. All the commentators that I read point to the reality that Paul is talking about the gospel. He's talking about God's will or his desire or his plan over time, over history. From Genesis to Revelation, what was God's will? Well, we look at the creation story and right at the beginning we see that, that God desired to be with us. He created us to be in relationship with. But of course, sin comes in and, and ruins that relationship and separates humanity from God. And the Old Testament is a story over and over and over again of God pursuing humanity through a man named Abraham, through a man named Moses, through the deliverance of the law. All these mediums were a way that God was trying to communicate and reach out to his people. We read about stories about King David and, and all the different kings in Israel and the prophets, all calling humanity back to God. But friends, us on our own, we are insufficient. We are unable to be brought back into that relationship. And so God, in his grace and his mercy, sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus became man, and he died on a cross. He paid a debt that we could not pay. This is the knowledge of God's will that Paul wants us to get. It's the gospel. And what I love about what Paul is saying here is he's communicating to us that our understanding of God's desire to be with us, our understanding of what, what God accomplished on the cross in Jesus Christ, our understanding of the life that we have in Jesus is not simply introductory faith stuff. When we look at the story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, we call it the gospel. We, that, that is to say that it is the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And I think oftentimes what happens in the church is, is we learn the gospel, we become fluent in talking and communicating about the life, death, and, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus and why it's important for you and for me. But then it's like we say, well, that's just, that's the beginning. That's the introductory Christianity stuff. And we stop revisiting the gospel. And we try to move on to deeper truths and all these different things. And, and honestly, that's one of the problems that was going on in Colossae. They felt allured and pulled in all these different directions. It's like, well, we figured out the gospel. Now we want to move on. Friends, Paul's prayer for him is for that they would recognize that their maturity begins with God continually filling them with an understanding of his will, which is the gospel. This is not introductory stuff. We do well to understand and believe that we need to keep growing in our understanding of the gospel. Well, how do we grow in our understanding? Well, Paul's clear. His prayer is that through, we would be given a spirit of wisdom and understanding. We would be given a spirit of wisdom and understanding. And I love this because it reveals that God will give us the resources that we need to mature. Again, what's the context of this? all these characteristics of maturity? The context is a prayer. God is at, uh, Paul is asking God to do what only he can do. And he's, he's praying that the Colossians would, would have wisdom and understanding. Again, all the commentators looked at this, these words, wisdom and understanding, and recognized that uh, throughout the Old Testament, wisdom and understanding was to be deeply, deeply desired. Wisdom, of course, is the ability to discern the truth and properly apply it. Wisdom, another, putting it another way, wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. We have wisdom when we, we come to look at the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel, but then rightly apply it to our lives. It's not enough to just know it. We have to apply it. We're going to talk a bit more about that as we go here. And Paul understood that knowledge was so important because it formed the basis for holy living. It formed the basis for holy living. So if the first characteristic of maturity is that we would know God more, Paul isn't just saying that it's just about knowing God more, but he's saying that it has a purpose. Now, what's the purpose of the knowledge of God's will? Is the purpose of the knowledge of God's will so that we may impress others? No. Is it that we might pass a test? No. Is it that we might be able to teach other people? No, although that might be a part of it. Is that we, is it that we would grow in our ego and our confidence? No. Is it that we would gain power? No. What is the purpose of growing in the knowledge of God's will? It's that you may live a life that is worthy. A life that is worthy. This word worthy, it's talking about measuring up. It's recognizing that God has a standard. He has a desire for the way that we are to live our lives. And, and we need to live our lives in a way that measures up to that. The, the, the word picture in Greek is that of a scale. And that the scales need to be balanced for, for whatever you're weighing against the other thing to be worthy. As we understand God's heart, as we embrace his presence in, his li- in our lives, we, we need to live accordingly. Now, why do we need to do this? Again, Paul points out that the purpose of us living a life worthy is to God's pleasure. God's pleasure. This is an interesting piece because when I think about applying God's words to my life, I need to be honest and express to you that there are times that I don't really want to do what God's asking me to do. It it doesn't seem like the thing that would be the most fun for me. Really, God? 
You want me to give that up? You want me to set that thing aside? You want me to go and do that thing that's uncomfortable? I'm not going to enjoy that. Paul reminds us here that it's not about your pleasure. It's not about my pleasure. It's about pleasing God. And friends, I believe that as we mature, as we become more like Jesus, God's pleasure and our pleasure align. So within this first characteristics that a maturing faith would seek to know God more, uh, we're left with this question, okay, well, how do we do that practically? Because again, Adam, you already said that the context of this is a prayer. Paul is asking God to do something only he can do. And that's absolutely right. We don't grow in the knowledge of God's will by ourselves. It's not something that we just set out on a mission to do and, and labor in and try to figure it out on our own. No, it is the answer to a prayer. A friend of mine, uh, when we would go out for lunch, he would, she, the, the waitress would come to the table and she would try to fill his glass of water. And he would keep moving the glass. So you can imagine the irritation of the waitress and the comedy for the rest of us at the table. And she would try to pour water in and he would just keep moving. And, and she was like, come on, like hold the cup still. And eventually, of course, he would and there'd be water all over the table. The problem that my, my friend was doing is he wasn't posturing the cup in the right position to be filled with water. Friends, we can pray for a greater knowledge. We can pray that God would do this work in our lives, but neglect our role in seeing that prayer answered. Much as my friend would neglect his role in making sure the water cup got filled, so too we can do that with God. We need to slow down. We need to sit before him in his word. We need to posture ourselves to receive. We've been talking a lot about the spiritual disciplines or practices uh, these last several weeks. And our equip session is all about this. I've been studying and reading up on these things a lot lately. And uh, it's really been changing my, some of my perspective on Christian discipleship. Um, and if we're to define what a Christian practice is, it's very simply the intentional action taken in response to God's word or simply doing the word. And I believe that it's through the practices or through the disciplines that we partner with God in order to see ourselves formed or to see ourselves mature. Um, the disciplines allow us, in the words of Richard Foster, the disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. I absolutely love that. One of the oppositions to disciplines or practices is that it's some sort of works-based faith or earning salvation and you could point to a text like Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 and say, hey guys, God is the one who does the maturing, not you. But I love what Richard Foster says, which is really in the counsel of so many different theologians and scholars, that the disciplines are not about us earning something before God, but they're about allowing ourselves to be placed before him so that God can transform us. I believe that chief among the practices in the context of this passage for us growing in knowledge, is the practice of scripture reading and meditation. Just this past week, our equipped session was on just that. Silence and solitude, scripture and prayer. I encourage you to check out the video on YouTube to, to learn more about this as a practice. So friends, this is the first characteristic of, of someone with maturing faith, that they would seek to know God more, that they would participate with him in seeing that prayer answered. But Paul goes on, and we, when we continue reading in our text, we see that a maturing faith regularly experiences God in tangible ways. 
So Paul goes on to write. So first of all, Paul's kind of posed a question, right? So he said that we need to live a life that is worthy and pleasing to God. The question is, well, what is a life that is pleasing to God? Paul gives us that answer. The life pleasing to God is one that is bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. That is the description of a life that is pleasing to God. And I believe that in these, Paul is identifying to us uh, four different um, characteristics, again, of, of, of ways that we are to experience God if we are people who are maturing in our faith. We are to be faith fruitful, we're to be growing in knowledge, we're to be strengthened, and we're to abound with joyful thanksgiving. So just a quick word on each. First is fruitfulness. The fruitfulness in this context is of our good works. So a life pleasing to God is a life that is fruitful. It means that uh, we are extending the goodness of God into the world. It's a recognition that God has been good to me, and I'm going to go and be good to others. I'm going to extend that goodness, that love, that kindness. I'm going to see opportunities to serve, and I'm going to get involved. I'm going to see those people in my social circles who are maybe a little neglected and not cared for, and I'm going to go and be good to them and, and see them and see how I can love on them. It's looking for needs in the areas around you and seeking to meet those needs. We are doing good as God is good. In addition to that, we understand that the fruitfulness, uh, there's an individual aspect. That as we are, have this maturing faith, we are experiencing God doing a work that only he can do in our hearts, which bears fruit. It bears fruit in our character. We read about this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruits of the Spirit. That as we are maturing, we should experience more love, more joy, more peace, and forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control welling up inside of us. The fruit of God's work in our hearts. The second thing that Paul talks about is that we need to be growing in knowledge, an experience of growing in knowledge. Uh, the NLT translates this really well. Uh, when it says that you will learn to know God better and better. You will learn to know God better and better. So this is different than the growing in the knowledge of the will of God that we talked about in the, the verses before. Uh, this is about um, a growing in our understanding of who God is, knowing him better and better. This is communicating the relational reality in our walk with God. The relational reality that as we grow in knowledge of a friend, or a spouse, or a coworker, as we, we come to understand the people around us, so too, as we walk with God, we need to understand Him more, grow in that knowledge of Him. And the life that is maturing will, should be experiencing a deeper knowledge of God. Third, a life that is growing in God, and, and should be experiencing God in the area of strength. Should be experiencing God in the area of strength. This means that God is the source of strength. God is the, God is the source of our strength. That when we're going through difficulty, uh, we are relying on Him. This attribute, this attribute of a life that pleases God has the explicit purpose of providing the necessary resources required to be a type of people who endure and who are patient. Did you get that? And so the strength that God's giving here in a life that pleases him, it's, it's not, again, about pleasing ourselves. It's not about being a certain amazing type of person. But the, the strength that God is providing to the person who is pleasing them 
It's for the specific purpose of endurance and patience. How do we understand those two things? N.T. Wright, I think, says it best that endurance is what faith, hope, and love bring to an apparently impossible situation and patience what they show to an apparently impossible person. (laughs) I absolutely love this. So N.T. Wright, as well as some other commentators, see a distinction between endurance and patience that endurance is circumstantial. So how do you go through a global pandemic? You need endurance for that. Where patience they're saying, is about our individual relationships. It's that difficult person at work. It's that stubborn child. It's that friend who is driving you crazy in, in a certain season. How do we have patience towards them? Um, and, and so what I love about this is that the person who's living a life that is pleasing to God is receiving strength from God to, in, to not endure, but to bring, again, God's love to difficult situations and difficult people. When we navigate difficult situations and difficult people well, we are pleasing God. The person who has an enduring faith, the person who is living pleasing to God, looks at an impossible situation and and doesn't just see impossibility, but sees redemption. The person who is living a life that is pleasing to God sees a person that, that no one else wants to take time for, no one else wants to deal with, And they see a person who is is not too far from God's grace. They see a person who has the the possibility of receiving God's love and grace and mercy in their life in the same way that they have received God's love, grace, and mercy in their life. And how do we do that? How do we endure? And how do we be patient? Well, we pull on God's strength. Friends, we need not look far for difficult situations or difficult people. But how are you enduring them? Is it pleasing to God? Are you enduring difficult situations or difficult people by your own resources? Or are you, in, are you enduring them and being patient with them by the strength made available with all the power according to the glorious riches of God? The fourth attribute of a life that pleases God is joyful thanksgiving. Joyful thanksgiving. That the person who's living in such a way that is bringing pleasure to God is abounding with praise. Pastor Norb talked about this last week. Very simply, we are praising and worshiping the one who has given so richly to us. And we do this joyfully. Joy, of course, is uninhibited by circumstances. In all situations, our thanksgiving should be evidenced. The opposite of thanksgiving, of course, is displeasure which leads to complaint and criticism. But the maturing faith can't help but give thanks to God because it has roots in a deeper knowledge of God. (laughs) That no matter what is going on circumstantially, the knowledge of God's will is such in a person that they see that God is at work. Maybe even when it doesn't seem like he is. They know God is at work. Why? Because they know the knowledge of God's will because God has been filling with them with it as they have been partnering with him and posturing themselves before him. Very simply, the mind that is saturated in God cannot help but give thanks. So, what, are the, what is the environment that we need? What are the conditions that we need to be people who are maturing? Well, again, first, we seek to know God more. And and secondly, here, we are experiencing God in tangible ways. 
And these four characteristics of a life that are pleasing to God, these are four characteristics of someone who is truly receiving and growing in a knowledge of God. To be someone who is full of strength, to be someone who is abounding in thanksgiving, to someone who is, is enduring and patient with others, who's growing in a knowledge of God. Um, we, we, to, to receive and experience these, I believe, is something that only God can do. But I need to say, too, that these are things we should experience. These are things we should experience. That as we go about our day-to-day lives, we are experiencing in us a fruitfulness, a growth. As we go through our day-to-day lives, we are experiencing in us um, this, this desire for good works, this desire to change, and we're, we're feeling this is the strength of God. We experience it in difficulty. Friends, I think oftentimes that we let our theology sit up on a shelf, our knowledge of God, our knowledge that God can change us, our knowledge that God can give us strength, our knowledge that God can make us more loving and kind, it sits on a shelf. And we're like, that's really good theology. (laughs) But we don't necessarily let it get into the everyday realities of our lives. But friends, as, as we become people who are maturing, as we seek to experience God in more ways, we need to allow our theology to pour out of the pages of a book and let it be experienced on the canvas of your day to day life. That you see, man, I am experiencing a change in my heart. I, I, I feel compelled to do good works. And, and when things are difficult, I feel, I experience the strength of God in a profound and powerful way. That my knowledge of God, it, it keeps growing. I, I keep learning more about Him and it, it's filling me with joy. And, and I'm just abounding in thanksgiving even when it doesn't seem to make sense. God is at work. I'm experiencing Him day in and day out. Friends, if we cannot see in our lives this tangible experience of God working in and through us, we need to ask the question, why? Why am I not experiencing God? Am I actually open to his working in my heart? And friends, I recognize that we can't have these experiences of God without surrender. Coming before him and saying, God, I I desire this change. I desire this work in my life. And joining with Paul in his prayer for the Colossians that they would have a maturing faith. And then participating in seeing that prayer answered. (laughs) And letting God do a work in your heart. So again, our maturing faith is seeking to know God more. Our maturing faith is experiencing God in these tangible ways. And lastly, a maturing faith chooses faithfulness. A maturing faith chooses faithfulness. Now you have to stick with me on this uh, because I don't know if I'm communicating what Paul wants to communicate, but uh, bear with me and uh, I, I think there's lots here. Paul goes on to write that the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Paul's reference to thanksgiving in the verse before seems to send him off into a gospel chorus, reminding the Colossians of all that God has done for them. And I want us to look at the words that Paul is using here. He's saying that they are qualified, rescued, brought, he's brought you into something else. He's redeemed you, forgiveness. All of these words, these ideas are communicating a change of status. 
So as Paul moves from this, this idea of what does a life of pleasing God look like, he, he just kind of launches into this reflection on what God has done for the Colossians. And the emphasis, it seems to be to me, is this emphasis on a change of status. He's speaking to the Colossians. He speaks of those in Christ now having a claim to receive the benefits of the kingdom of God. Paul writes and he speaks of being rescued from darkness and now brought into light. He speaks of redemption, which for his first century audience would have invoked images of a slave who has finally been able to to find freedom and is no longer a slave. He speaks of forgiveness, being released from a debt that they owed. In each one of these things that, that Paul is speaking to, he's emphasizing to them, Colossians, your status has changed. Now we might see the context of this and say, well, this is Paul's reflection on why we give thanks. And absolutely, I think that there's a part to that too. But I think there's something else going on here that is important for us to see. The the pronouncement of what God has done, the pronouncement of this change in status, naturally sets itself up as a contrast against someone who is separated, someone who is in bondage, someone who's living in darkness, who is a slave or indebted. So when Paul is talking about all the things that God has done for them, it, it invokes this idea of where they once were. The fact that they needed their status to be changed reflects a reality that they were in a place that they probably didn't want to be. In biblical theology, this communicates the concept that we might call the way. The way. And if we go back to verse 10, well, where we read that, um, that, that they may live a life that is worthy. Um, most translations have abandoned what's going on in the Greek here um, to bring clarity. Um, but in the ESV and the NASB, they maintain the Greek, which says that you need to walk in a manner that is worthy. Throughout Scripture, we see from Genesis to Revelation this idea of there are two ways to walk. There's the way of God, the way that lives, the, the way that that God has designed you to live, the way that he knows for you to get the most out of life without blowing it, there's that way. And then there's the way of the world in New Testament language. A life that is lived in rebellion to God, a life that doesn't consider God, a life that doesn't want God. And Paul here in these final verses of this section is pointing out that they've transitioned from the way of the world to now the way of God. The proclamation of what God has done highlights the way of life that the Colossians, that we are now walking into. This proclamation calls us to faithfulness to that way. Friends, when we feel the temptation to walk in the way of the world, when we feel the temptation to set aside God's word and and walk in a different way, Paul's emphasis of, hey, 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 whoa, you've been rescued, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven. Be faithful to that way that God has put you on. Be faithful to the rescue that God has done in your worth, in your life. Be faithful to the freedom that God has brought to you. Don't walk in any other way. This comes a bit to life even more when we think about the context of this letter, writing to a young church that is living in a very pluralistic society where there's all these different gods to worship, all these different pleasures to engage in. And the church is like, how do we follow God in this? And it's like Paul is reminding them, remember the gospel. God, God has brought you from one way to another. Be faithful to the way that God has brought you to. 
Paul is going to go on to talk about who Jesus is. And the emphasis in this over and over again is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the other way. Jesus is better than bondage. He is better than living enslaved to sin. He is better than any pleasure or thing you think that is going to give you life outside of God's desire and way for you. Jesus is better. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is better. Be faithful to Jesus. Don't fall back on that other way. And that message to the Colossians is as relevant to us today as it was to them some 2,000 years ago. Be faithful to Jesus. Friends, a maturing faith chooses faithfulness. Is that always easy? No. Again, it's not about your pleasure. It's about God's. But as we faithfully walk in the way of Jesus, we're going to grow up to be more like him, to be someone who is more loving, who is more kind, who's more patient with others, to be someone who's engaging in good works, who experiences strength and life and vitality in the midst of difficult situations. Jesus' way is better. Be faithful to that way. Paul is writing to a young church that is perhaps struggling. He's inviting them in this this passage. He's saying, church, my prayer for you is that you would have a mature faith. My, My prayer for you is that you would become more and not less. And friends, that's my prayer for you. That we would have a mature faith. That we would become more and not less. That we would look more like Jesus in 10 years than we do today. A metaphor I've often used uh, or heard for the, the Christian life is this idea that, that oftentimes we think that coming to Jesus is like crossing the finish line, that we lived our lives kind of wandering around and then we found Jesus and we've crossed the finish line. But that metaphor doesn't work very well because I think, to again, go back to this way metaphor, I think it's more like um, there's, there's two different races going on, right? Again, the way of the world, the way of Jesus. And when we think that crossing the finish line is coming to faith, it's like we're just done. We can just put our feet up. But that's not what the New Testament teaches us. I think the New Testament teaches us that life with Jesus, when we begin our life with Jesus, it's like crossing the start line. The starting gun has gone off and the racers take off. Now we need to run in such a way that is worthy of God and pleasing to him, which requires us to desire this maturing faith that we would not be complacent. I can't help but wonder if some of you listening are maybe feeling tired in your faith. Maybe some of you are here just wondering when I'm going to wrap this thing up so that you can go home. Maybe some of you are sitting here thinking to yourself, hey, this is great that you're talking about growth, but, you know, I've been a Christian for 25, 30 years. I've never experienced God the way that you're talking about, and I'm just kind of thinking that that's just how it is for me. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're on the edge of your seat and saying, yes, this is exactly what I want. I want more of God. I want to grow. I look at my life. I see nothing but insufficiencies. And I want to change. I want to be more like Jesus. Friends, God comes to us wherever we are at. He comes to us wherever we are at. But please do not reduce your life with God to regular church attendance and five minutes of devotions each morning. Maturity is a work of God. Again, the whole context of this is a prayer. If you truly want to become more and not less, partner with God in seeing this prayer answered in your own life. Let me pray for you.
Father God, we praise you that Jesus is better. We praise you that a life with you is is a calling to more and not less. That is a calling to a life that is abundant. And so Holy Spirit, we want to posture ourselves before you and we join with Paul in praying that we would increase in our knowledge of the will of God. That we would live a life that is worthy and pleasing of you. That we would abound in good works. That we would abound in knowledge of you. That we would grow relationally with you. Lord, we pray that we would be strengthened to endure and have patience. We pray that we would abound with thanksgiving. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to your way. And God, as we partner with you in this, we trust you. We choose to trust you that you will do a work in us far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. So Jesus, we want to be more like you. We want to be more like you, we pray. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done in our hearts and our lives today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.